I've got to get my head back into work mode. This has actually been difficult to come out of, I don't want to say holiday mode, I don't know if it was a holiday mode, out of wedding mode, <laughs> back into work mode. The holiday's yet to come. I'll come back to that. Uh, I, I'm trying to focus this week. Actually, I didn't try to focus the first few days of this week. And I was like, oh, yeah, I probably should actually start doing some work now. There's my alert, Troy Hunter's live. Good, it's working. Um, let me start with the fundamentals. I want to start with some fundamental stuff uh, with a brand new sponsor this week, and then I'd love to go on to a whole bunch of new stuff, uh, some of it personal, some of it data breachy, some of it techie. So good mix today. Sponsor this week is my brand new sponsor, SecAlerts. And I'm super, super happy to have SecAlerts on board here. Uh, in part, it's always nice having a new sponsor and a bit of variety, but also in part because this is a local sponsor and it's really rare that I get to actually spend time in person with a sponsor. Uh, and they're based about an hour that way uh, up in Brisbane. So we did catch up and, and have a nice uh, nice breakfast here on the Gold Coast recently. So this is a real company doing good stuff. Let me talk about SecAlerts. Vulnerability awareness, receiving a CVE and zero-day alerts, news and version updates, all matched to your software, and they've got a discount code within there as well. Now, what I like about this is it's it's a very sort of fundamentally simple yet effective model, which is go through, index all of your things, all of your software and dependencies, and every single piece of software you build these days is full of dependencies. Index them all, and then whenever there's something that you need to know about it, they will let you know. And I'm just going through their website here. Uh, alerts to large-scale vulnerabilities match from over 112,000 software titles. I knew there were a lot, but 112,000 is <laughs> quite a lot. Now think about all the different libraries and things that I have dependencies on, and I generally just wait till the package management service, you know, NuGet, uh, or whatever it may be, updates and pushes things out. But this is, uh, this is much more proactive. Really like what these guys are doing. So please uh, go and check out SecAlerts. First time they have been the sponsor on TroyHunt.com uh, and doing good stuff. Local Aussie company as well. Lovely. Okay. Neil Coldwell. Hi from Sydney. Near to Optus headquarters. We'll get back to Optus. Oh, boy. Optus. Uh, we'll get back to them. Let me do the, the personal bit first because that was... You know, last week I did this video. I did it, in fact, eight days ago. I did a bit early. And I was going to get married. I did get married. <laughs> For those of you listening to this later on, yes, I, I have a wedding ring now, which is, uh, I'm so happy. Like, I'm just genuinely, genuinely happy about, uh, obviously, about the marriage to Charlotte. But the wedding we had was was amazing. I've, I've posted one photo. Uh, and, in fact, I wanted to... I wanted to get the professional photos. I think they're going to be just out of this world amazing. And we're pushing the photographer. It's like, hey, I'd really like to put something on social. Uh, you got any photos you can send us? And she was like, oh, you know, it'll be a week or something. So I went, no, no I can't, can't wait that long because I, I sort of went a bit dark online. I was like, going off to get married. See you, suckers. I'll be back later on. <laughs> so I wanted to sort of rather than just come back and just jump straight into data breachy stuff to have something there. So I posted one of, of Charlotte and the kids and I, which a friend of ours had took whilst we were standing around for the professionals. And it's just, I, I, I just love this photo because it's, everyone's just so genuinely happy. But the ones I'm really, really waiting for is we just, 
and I'm talking while I'm, in case I'm not looking at you, I'm looking at this photo. We, uh, just Charlotte and I, and the photographer and videographer, like down in a, a field with the sun setting in this just, you know, beautiful mountainous rural location. And it's, uh, I'll just never forget the emotion behind that. Uh, and it was, it was wonderful. I did retweet some photos that some of the friends there had shared, uh, people many of you know, Lars Clint, Noel Merrigan, uh, Scott Helm. <laughs> they were all there. People have now all departed and headed back to their different parts of the world, but it was so cool to be able to see. Uh, I mean, Scott and I hadn't seen for two and a half years, uh, and these are people that I'd normally catch up with, geez, every couple of months or something, somewhere in the world. So to go that long and then to have such an important event, uh, and that was that was just amazing. It's words depart me <laughs> at this time. Mohammed is there. Hi, congratulations on the wedding. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. And it has been lovely seeing all these responses. I was trying to get a sense of how many people had seen this post because I'm up to 1,400-something likes, but every time I click on the little analytics button in Twitter, oh, now it comes up. 90,000 people have seen this post. That's cool. Every time I clicked on the analytics button on my iPhone, it would be like, uh, you can only view analytics of your own posts. Well, this is my own post. Your tweet has earned 90,494 impressions so far. Switch to a professional account to broaden your reach. I don't feel the need to pay to reach more people with a photo of my, my wedding, as nice as that is, Twitter. It's been lovely. I mean, it's just... I think everyone likes getting nice feedback and congratulations and things from people. So to have that across the across the social things has just been... It's been awesome. It's been fun. Now, several people said, uh, glad you're back from your honeymoon. Now, this is, this is not true. Uh, reasonable assumption, not true. We went away to get married. It's about a two-and-a-half-hour drive from here. Uh, we came back on Sunday. So we've been home since Sunday, and we have had guests like Scott and Niall and Charlotte's family from Norway here. Uh, so we have actually, not only have we not had a, a honeymoon yet, but we really, much to my chagrin, is that the right term? Really have not had time alone <laughs> together because we have had a house full of people, including the kids, which is reasonable because they live here. <laughs> but we just haven't really had any downtime together. Uh, that will change this weekend. We are going uh, on a honeymoon, a proper honeymoon, for more than a week to another country. It's the first time I've been to another country since February 2020. Uh, since either of us have been to another country since February 2020. So that's that's really exciting. And if, if I'm honest, it's a little bit nerve-wracking. It's like, gee, shit, well, like, what do you got to do when you go to another country? You've got to do this thing. I've got to have the passports. What the documentation? I've got to print stuff out. Does my SIM card work? <laughs> it's for something that, that used to just be like every other day I'd be in another country, and now it's getting used to it. So we will have a proper honeymoon, but it hasn't happened yet. And, and if I'm honest, we really just haven't had much time to ourselves and much peace and quiet at all. Uh, by our own design, because we wanted to be surrounded by friends and family. But I'm really, really, really looking forward to going away. Stephen Jones, morning, grass on the wedding. Thanks, Stephen. Neil says, I stopped using Facebook when they wanted money to share these types of updates. I certainly don't give Facebook any money. Jules, is, Jules, I assume it's Jules, like is, like is Jules Villeneuve. <laughs> Over in Switzerland, congratulations. 
Uh, Neil says, make sure all the passports have another six months of validity. Yeah, mine's still good for uh, for quite some time. So uh, no problems there. Charlotte's is good too. She's now going through the joy of changing her surname. So she, she is taking on my surname. And that's a bit harder for her as well because she's got like a Norwegian passport, but then we're going overseas not just uh, in a few days' time, but also at the end of the year we'll be back in, in Norway and other places like that. And passports are taking a long time to issue, so they're like, don't change the name on your passport, book all the tickets in your maiden name, uh, do that, but then go and change your driver's license and all this other stuff. So a lot of logistics uh, around this on top of an already busy life, but, you know, totally worth it. Absolutely totally worth it. So that's that. That was fun. That was awesome. I will share more photos. When I get the the proper professional stuff, I just, I'm going to choose what, I want to share, and I'm not entirely sure yet. I'll wait until I, I see what they look like. But, but I enjoy this. You know, it's it's nice sharing your life with people. Uh, some bits of your life with people. Okay, what else did I have on this list? I know there's been some more data breaches somewhere. It's always more data breaches. Oh yeah, Optus. For those of you from other parts of the world, Optus is our second largest telco here in Australia. They are very very well known. They provide mobile phone services, landline services. They provide uh, broadband services. I'm sure there's many other things that they do as well. And yesterday, just over 24 hours ago now, news came out that Optus has had a data breach. Now, it's kind of a, a bit of an odd story so far in that we have very, very little information about the situation. I'm just scrolling down to the disclosure notice here. So... First I heard about it was someone pinged me and said, uh, you know, look, go and, go and have a look at this this notice. This came across at 2 p.m. Australian Eastern Time yesterday. And just for reference, it's 5.30 now. So what are we at, like 25 and a half hours ago? Uh, this is from the CEO. We are devastated to discover that we have been subject to a cyber attack that has resulted in the disclosure of our customers' personal information to someone who shouldn't see it. They then go on to say that this information includes customers' names, dates of birth, phone numbers, email addresses, and for a subset of customers, addresses, I assume they mean physical addresses, ID document numbers such as driver's license or passport numbers. Payment detail and account passwords have not been compromised. It's, it's interesting because I've read this several times, but I've just taken a different interpretation on it here, which, which reads like all of the customers have had that data exposed and a subset have had the identity documents exposed. Now, part of my problem with this, and we are yet to see an update as far as I know on this, is that it's kind of, it's very, very limited information. So they do have an FAQ down here. So how did this happen? Optus was the victim of a cyber attack. (laughs) It doesn't really explain it. We immediately took action to block the attack, which only targeted Optus customer data. What do you mean only? <laughs> that's, that's exactly the stuff you don't want targeted. Optus systems and services, including mobile and home internet, are not affected, and messages and voice calls have not been compromised. Optus services remain safe to use and operate as per normal. Has the attack been stopped? Yes. Uh, they're now working with the AFP, Australian Federal Police. And I noticed... Um, the AFP putting out an announcement today saying that they have been, what was the word they used? It was like engaged or contacted or the bat signal has been shone and them and the Australian, 
ASD, Australian Signals Directorate, uh, of which the Australian Cybersecurity Centre is a part of as well, and now involved in that. Why did we go to the media first instead of our customers? Oh, jeez. The security of our customers and their data is paramount to us. That's where we take your security seriously. We did this as it was the quickest and most effective way to alert as many current and former customers as possible so they could be vigilant and monitor for any suspicious activity. We're now in the process of contacting customers who have been impacted directly. I don't I don't disagree with this, but it I have often posed the question to organizations who are planning to be able to respond should they need to. I've said if you need to contact all of your customers, how quickly can you do it? Now, that may not sound hard. It's just like, yeah, just BCC everyone. No, you can't do that. What happens if they email everyone? What happens if, as we've seen in some of the news, uh, news pieces here, you've got 9 million customers and you need to contact them all quickly? Can you do it? So there's certainly some truth to this, but you would imagine that a telecommunications company of all the types of organisations who get breached, would be in the best position to contact everyone promptly. <sighs> Stephen says, customers are important to us after the media press release. I guess in this day, you need to try and do media and customers in a quick succession. I, I, and I do think you do. Now, speaking of media, I have done uh, a lot of media in the last what do we say 25 and a half hours probably the last 25 hours within half an hour when this broke I was getting lots of lots of calls and one of the points that I've I've made here you get all the usual questions from the press keep in mind this is like you know ABC radio it was f funny today actually because I've come downstairs and Charlotte's looking really confused and she's like I thought you were in a meeting because I was suddenly hearing your voice and I'm like, I was trying to find you but I was like why is your voice here and then I realized that the radio is playing through the Sonos in the living room and you're on the radio and it was and you weren't anyway. I thought it was funny. Uh, the the thing the press keeps asking is things like, you know, could Optus have done anything better? So well it's it, it, it's hard to say because we don't have any information about what actually happened. Um how do I know if I've been impacted? We're in the process of contacting customers who've been directly impacted. Hmm. If only there was a way of looking up a service to know if you had been impacted. And I haven't seen anything that the general masses haven't seen online either. I have no inside information. I certainly haven't seen any data. It's not in Have I Been Pwned and things like that. Because there's not a lot of transparency yet, and, and part of the reason may be that it is very, very early. Maybe they did disclose super, super, super fast. Uh, part of it is inevitably ongoing investigations and all the usual responses. But we don't know how they got in. We don't know really the extent of it in terms of the raw numbers. Uh, we don't know what Optus did to, to mitigate it. Uh, there's a whole bunch of unknown questions. We don't know, was this ransomware and they were shaken down for money and now they're going to start ransoming customers? I, d I don't know any of this. And the point I was making to the, to the press is that in a vacuum of information, which is what it feels like at the moment, people will speculate. And we're seeing a lot of speculation now. Uh, in fact, I'm going to find this tweet I sent just uh, just a little while ago where uh, here's the headline. <laughs> Human error emerges as possible factor in Optus hack affecting millions of Australians. 
of course there's human error. There, there is never a data breach without human error. There's never like a data breach that's go, well, everything went perfectly well. We can't understand why there was a breach. There's always human error. There's a coding error, configuration error, a leaving the Excel document with all of the customer data in it on a thumb drive behind in a restaurant error. <laughs> like there's always human error. And all that's happening at the moment is we don't know what the human error was, and people are speculating. And I would have hoped that 24 hours on from that first announcement, they would have given us something of substance about this. Hugo says, they've started sending out emails to affected customers, apparently. Yeah, the funny thing is, both Scott Helm and Niall Merrigan, when they came here, uh, like literally only one week ago, just before the wedding, were sitting there getting Optus prepaid SIMs <laughs> so that they had data while they're here. And then this news broke yesterday while Scott was still here. And he's like, ah, crap, I just gave them a passport data. And... Because you got to identify yourself when you get a SIM card. Ah, crap, he actually gave them my credit card too. But Optus did say credit card details unimpacted. So... Uh, far from ideal. The user far from ideal says there was 1.1 million Optus numbers posted on a popular darknet marketplace on the 17th. <sighs> Related, correlation, not causation. Uh, one would imagine it would not be hard to obtain 1.1 million numbers. <laughs> and I know they're not like completely sequential and all the rest of it, but yeah, show me internal data and we'll have a different discussion. It's a little bit like the TikTok thing recently where there was this alleged TikTok data breach and then I went down and broke it all apart and it's like, well, this is all just data that's publicly accessible anyway. Optus, we don't know. We just have to wait and see what has actually happened with uh, with Optus. I'm sure that we will hear more because this is clearly being taken very, very seriously here in Australia. Something else being taken very, very seriously that is getting a lot of press uh, in different parts of the world and something that I had a lot of emails on whilst I was away getting married was TAP Air Portugal. Uh, I had never heard of this, this airline before, but apparently it's big in Portugal. It's in Have I Been Pwned Now. <coughs> Excuse me. Five million unique customer records published after a ransomware attack last month. So this was the Ragnar ransomware crew. They have published the data online. It's on a Tor Hidden service. That service, let me try it again now. Last time I checked it was not online, but someone had sent me 100,000 records uh, before I went away to the, the, the wedding. And then when I came back today, I was like, okay, I better process this. And I tweeted online. I was like, look, has anyone grabbed the rest of the data from the Onion site? And someone popped up and was like, yeah, here's 5 million records. And this is what, uh, this is what, Ransomware crews are often doing at the moment. This is what Ragnar Locker has done, where they will dump the data publicly, usually to a Tor hidden service, should the ransom not be paid. Now, I did watch a little video of their CEO talking about the incident. Ah, we'll never negotiate, we'll never pay it. So, I, I actually agree with that whole premise of not paying it, but this is sort of the inevitable conclusion, uh, which is your data is now everyone's data because it's now all out there. Names, genders, dates of birth, phone numbers, physical addresses, and 72% of all of those were already in Have I Been Pwned. I have sent, 
I think it was about 50,000 emails to impacted have I been paying subscribers. And I think the breakdown was something like 33,000 individual subscribers and about another 17,000 subscribers uh, monitoring domains which have included email addresses on them in this breach. So that is, by any reasonable measure, a really, really large data breach. Um, and particularly when you're dealing with that kind of personal information, it's not just usernames and passwords. Mind you, there were no passwords, that's an upside. But you just don't get to put things like dates of birth and phone numbers and physical addresses, you just don't get to put that back in the bottle. So that's, uh, that's unfortunately now out there for 5 million people. Stefan's here. G'day, Stefan. Nice to have you on board. Missed you. <laughs> we should talk more. Far from ideas says, uh, far from ideal. I'll keep an eye out and DM you if any tangible data gets posted. I think this is on the Optus front. Yeah, look, please do. Uh, many data breaches never have data publicly posted. It remains closed uh, remains in private circles uh, sometimes it does so for for years i mean both linkedin and dropbox 2012 data breaches 2016 the data appears uh you know all the other ones we've never heard about <laughs> yeah the ones we just don't know about there's a lot of those out there so we may never see optus data but as one of the journalists sort of asked today they're like is this bad for optus so yeah like the headline is terrible like we whether the data gets out there or not, it's a terrible headline. Same for TAP Air Portugal. Incidentally, and I'll, I'll not quote specific things, this was just the sense I got when reading the TAP communication, it, it does seem like they, they made significant efforts to downplay the situation. Uh, and it looks like some of the earlier messaging, let's just go and find the earlier messaging. I don't want to say it was, like funny is not the, the word TAP Airport. Oh, here we go. It is TAP Air Portugal. But some of the messaging was just. It felt like misdirection. September two. This is their pin tweet. Actually, TAP has been the victim of a cyber attack, which was promptly reported to the relevant authorities. Allegations are being made that an organised crime group has stolen customer data. Did they steal it, or does TAP still have it? Are there just more backups of it than what there were before? Now, this is tweet one of two, but because TAP Air Portugal can't uh, tweet thread, we don't have tweet two of two, so I'm not, not quite sure what is in tweet two of two. Um, they do seem to be pretty good replying to people on Twitter, though, so kudos to that. I wonder if I can scroll back through the... Through, oh, here's two of two. TAP continues to adopt, with the support of an external international entity and in coordination with the authorities... All appropriate containment and remediation measures to protect the company and its customers. Well, I'm glad we've established that. Doesn't really tell you a lot, does it? Okay, let's move on to some completely non-data breach infosec topics. Uh, Apple things. There is, in my possession, an iPhone 14 Pro Max and on my wrist as of the last few hours an what is it? An Apple Watch Ultra. So let me tell you about these two things and how I'm feeling about them. Uh, and are they worth it or not? I, particularly with the phone, because I've got the previous gen, I had a 13 Pro Max. I did procrastinate. Should I upgrade? Now, there are a couple of things that, that tip me over. So one is 
massive leap on the cameras, a lot more megapixels, all the usual stuff about better and low light and everything else. I really haven't had much of a chance to try that. Uh, I did get the phone. It was after the wedding. Uh, it was sometime during this week. It's all blue. I got the phone, and then um, I really haven't had a chance to try out the cameras and, and test just how it goes. I'm sure it is better than the previous gen. It, it always is. As I've said before, I take so many photos of family and travel and things like that, and these memories are so precious to me that getting improvement in the camera, I, I can't put a number on it, but it's just always a really, really big thing for me. The dynamic island. <laughs> so this is that where we used to have the notch before. Remember it was called the notch. You know, it's sort of that little bit that goes down on the top and is everything from the speaker to the dot sensor to the infrared sensor was in that little dot or in that little notch. Uh, so now it is an island insofar as the screen wraps around it. Okay, they've made it smaller. That's good. But what they've done, which, which is actually quite clever, and I am, as I use this more, really, really liking this, is they've called it the dynamic island in that it's it's a, a black, uh, what do you call a long circle? <laughs> it's a proper geometrical word for it. It's not an oval. It's flat on the top and the bottom. But it expands contextually. So when you face ID into an app, for example, a little black box animates and comes down and puts your face there. When you've got a phone call, it shows that up there, and it's got one of the little, little like wave meters as well, which is accurate. It's not an animation. It does reflect the sound it's actually hearing. When you play music, it's listed up there, and you can just tap on it and drill straight into it. That is actually really cool. I'm very, very much liking that. Uh, I think that's a really nice UX. And it's a really nice use of a space, which is otherwise a pretty useless space if i'm completely honest so that's good uh, something camera related this phone when you look at it on the back looks identical to the previous phone it's not <laughs> because i tried putting my old case on the new phone i was like no nope, that's not going to work the cameras in the most apple of ways are in a very very slightly different position so you can't just move them over you can't just move the case over uh, two other things which I do think are really big improvements. So one of them is much better low light. I think in the original Apple uh, announcement that I saw, I forget how many nits it was before, but now it's like 2,000 nits, extra brightness in low light. And for us sitting out there in the increasingly glaring sun, because we're well into spring now, it makes a big difference. And there are many, many times, particularly with sunglasses on, and you don't sit out there without sunglasses, I'll tell you what. Many, many times, people with sunglasses, where it's getting difficult to read the screen on the old one. The new one is significantly brighter. I literally like A-B testing them right next to each other. And particularly when I put on my polarized sunglasses, the new one was just so much brighter. So that was one. The other thing is the always-on screen. So I've got this sitting down here. If I try not to like make it look at me, I've got something over my window here, so I can't see what you're seeing. Uh, if I sit that down, it'll go to sleep in just a moment. But unlike the old phones where the whole screen just goes dark, it will still have some of the screen displayed, as you can see here. There's Charlotte now upside down. And that's actually super useful. I like, I like being able to see the time and the date when my phone's just sitting there. I like being able to see if alerts pop up. I like being able to... It's just something about the UX of it uh, just gradually getting brighter as opposed to that jarring, it's black and now suddenly it's bright and the whole picture's there. 
There's just something very, very nice about that experience, and, and the 14 Pros now do that, which is great. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy with that experience. That's, that feels like a big step forward. Uh, let me look at the comments on here. Entry VR. Where does Curly store your personal photos from iPhone? iCloud? Uh, yes. So everything from iPhone syncs to iCloud, syncs to iPad. So everything everything syncs up. And I guess one thing we know about backups is backups are only good if you know how to restore. <laughs> and one of the beauties of using something like iCloud to sync all your photos is that everything is always there in that account. It will restore to any device that you pick up and then authenticate and you know, when we go away, if this disappears into the other in some foreign country and I need to just, you know, first of all, I can remote wipe it, assuming it has connectivity, of course. Then when I come home, I'll pick up a new phone or restore. Uh, and it's, it's not that I want to go losing the phone, but I want much, much less to be losing my valuable photos. Stefan says, is it a trapezoid? Yeah, you got me wondering now. How do you define trapezoid? Trapezoid... Uh, no, it is not a trapezoid because a trapezoid has hard angles. A trapezoid is a quadrilateral with at least one pair of parallel sides, but this is round on the edges. Lars is here. Apparently, Pixel Seven is copying that dynamic island idea. Look, I think everyone everyone sort of copies everyone to some extent. And I was just waiting for someone to go, "Oh, my, you know, Samsung, blah 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 blah, has done this for years." I was like, "Oh, congratulations, good on you." Um, <laughs> I don't really care. Like everyone innovates something and then it filters down into other devices if it's a good idea, uh, which is fantastic. And this is why we sort of want an ecosystem that is preferably not the mostly duopoly that it is at the moment. Stephen wasn't keen on this feature on my Pixel, but I've grown to like it and love it and now can't do without it. I'm sure it's a lot of just familiarity thing as well. Uh, and Stephen's talking about the Pixel screen on uh, time thing. Entry VR is agreeing with, with stores. Let me talk about the watch. So the watch is the, the Ultra. This one was both an easy and a hard decision. It was easy in so far as a lot more screen real estate, uh, and it is significantly more screen real estate. It is a much larger watch. So this is 49 mil instead of what was the old one, 42? 244 mil. Uh, in fact, when Charlotte saw it on my wrist, she's like, you know what it's like? It's like the size of the kid's tracking watch that I had on L that I've used in so many of my talks. Uh, and in fact, now that I look at it, it's not, it's not fundamentally different. But I'll tell you what, Charlotte put this on her wrist just to sort of see, you know, what does it look like? And it looks freaking massive on a svelte female <laughs> wrist. So you can imagine how big that kid's watch looked on L. It is a big unit. I think if you had uh, a small arm, if you're a, a child or a slim build, it would be a rather obnoxious device. That said, I really like it. Uh, I think it looks super, super cool on me. I, I quite enjoy it. Um, extra screen real estate is good. I really like what I'm hearing from people about battery life. So I had two generations older, was, was my previous one, and if I had a, a really intensive exercise day, I could have a fully charged a fully charged watch in the morning and by about this time at night, so we're approaching 6 p.m. here, dead, gone, and I'd have no battery left. And I'd miss counting valuable steps. Everything I'm reading on this from those who've been testing it is people getting multiple days with the battery life out of it. And, and I don't need multiple days. I just need 
when I have a really active day, not to run out of battery before I go to bed. So every night goes on the charger, good as gold first thing in the morning, but I need it to not run out of battery before going to bed. And that, uh, that seems to be where we are at now, which is good news. I've got the one of the sort of standard watch faces that come with the Ultra in it, which I, I probably won't keep because I do like a digital watch face, but it looks, it looks cool. There's a lot of information on the screen here. Uh, I think that some of the stuff that it comes with by default, like your compass, it's so smooth the way the compass works. I genuinely don't need this as like a day-to-day thing. What are little footprints here on the compass? Start backtrack. Apple Watch can record your route in case you get lost. That is cool. It's a little like digital breadcrumbs. What the blue bit is there? I don't know. What's that do? Oh, opens up a map. There we go. You can drop waypoints and things like that. The big button, the new one, so the one on the end, which is orange. I was a bit worried when I bought this watch. You know, I had like a nice black one before and a black band, and I guess it fit my theme, black wedding ring. Um, I was a bit worried that like the big orange button would be a bit obnoxious, but I can barely see it. You know, when I look at the watch here and I wear it on my left hand so it faces up my arm, when I look at the watch, I can't see it. When I look at the end, yes, I can see it, but it's, it's not orange in like a really obnoxious way. It's like a metallic orange. So that's good. The dial is much, much larger. The existing button under the dial is also much, much larger. It all feels really solidly built. When I actually took it out and compared it to the, the titanium one that I had, the last one, it, uh, it feels much heavier because it's obviously a bigger unit. Feels very nicely made. Um, things like the dive functionality, uh, I've been diving sometimes. It's probably not going to make a lot of difference to me. But definitely the extra screen real estate is just a, a really, really cool thing. I will have more feedback shortly. I've, I've literally had this on my wrist for pr- probably three hours today. Let's have a look at the comments here. Lars says, are we at peak smartphone level, though? It seems there are only minor tweaks coming out on new devices. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think we're at a, a peak level. I, I think sometimes we just go quite some period of time before something genuinely new and innovative happens. I mean, we had Windows mobile devices for how long, and then iPhone came along, and everyone thought it was, well, Steve Ballmer thought it was stupid. <laughs> a bunch of people thought it was stupid, and it just revolutionized everything. And all right, that was quite some years ago now, but we do see these these incremental increases and, and maybe we're not seeing anything that's like revolutionary in terms of uh, the, the human computer interface. But geez, when I look at the photos I take with that camera, like that has fundamentally changed in only the last few years. Like it's crazy, particularly some of the night shots and things that I've gotten, not with this one yet, but its predecessor. I mean, that's just, it's nuts. Uh, and I'm sure that we'll continue to see Many, many, many more advances, but it, it, it won't always be linear. Stephen says, can you still open the garage with your watch? I still blame you for that first vid and getting me into home assistant. Yes, I definitely can. In fact, I, I really need to put a little bit more TLC into my, my home automation. Um, yesterday, I wanted to ask the lady's name, who I can't mention while I'm recording this, we should start listening, just to turn off the lights in the bedroom. Uh, in the master bedroom and I realized I had not yet configured in uh, HomeKit in Apple 
the master bedroom and put the right entities in there such that it could trigger them all. So more work to do there, but yes, I can definitely still do that. Jamie says it's massive. <laughs> Scan watch at 42 millimeters already on the largest side for me. Uh, but it does have a 30-day battery life. That is impressive. <laughs> Look, the, the size thing, I, I think, is very relative. And I'm, um, I'm six foot five. I've, without sounding obnoxious about it, I've got large hands. <laughs> like it, it works, right? So it fits someone of, of my, my scale. But I put it on Charlotte or I put it on Ari and it just looks absolutely freaking massive. Far From Ideal says, I just can't justify an upgrade for the cost when the features really aren't that different. And there's a very personal thing. One thing that certainly makes it easier to justify upgrade is uh, I work for myself, business expense, pay for with pre-tax dollars, depreciation, yada, yada, yada. So it, it does make it much easier than if I was just like spending my own post-tax dollars on everything. So that's that's good. Um, and then it's it's just... Look, it's at a price point where I get enough value from the features to justify the spend. And that's a very personal thing. I totally get that. I think most people would probably give it at least a couple of years between rotating things. Mind you, I gave the watch two years. Last year, I couldn't justify upgrading the watch. So this is the first like always on watch I've had as well. And that's really cool too. Every time I look at it now, it's, it's just not as jarring, you know, just sort of cutting out and then cutting back in. Stephen says... Does it have a I got lost where's the nearest pub feature? The backtrack function does look good. It does sound good. Yeah, it does. And I guess it depends on um, on your use case. Now, we, we like we do a bit of hiking, not crazy amounts, but I've got my phone uh, and I, I use a, a hiking app where you can download maps offline and the GPS still works if you've got no connectivity or that sort of stuff. So there's usually a way of finding your way out. Um, I got the... Oh, there are three different band options. I've got the one that's like the aquatic one because the times where I, I really need a, a, a decent band is particularly things like wakeboarding. So I do a lot of wakeboarding. If I go to the park, what I've tended to do whilst it's been cooler is just like put the watch under my wetsuit top. Uh, now I'd probably do it the other way around because I'd like to be able to see, for example, uh, what the time is or I feel the watch buzz when I get an alert. I'd like to be like riding around the park and just being able to go, oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> I can see what that is. So this band does feel really, really solid. It, it feels like this would take a really big hit to come off. Uh, I don't think I've lost a watch for many, many years because I've always gotten bands that have been really good for the sorts of sports I do. So I used to windsurf a lot. And if you're out there and you, you sort of banged it against the mast or something, it could knock it off. But this this does not feel like that's going to happen at all. Uh, and I hope not because it's an expensive watch. Robin says, I think it looks somewhat like retro tech with the orange. I'm waiting for UPS with my Ultra. Yeah, it, the, the orange is much more orange on the screenshots I saw, the photos online, than what it is in person. Uh, and there's a little orange circle on the on the crown as well. I don't know if you can see that. Just see, I'll put it back near my face. It stays in focus. But very, very subtle. Much more subtle than what I thought it would be, which I'm happy about because I agree with you. I thought it looked a little bit obnoxious. Stefan says, I think smartphones are mostly getting smarter via AI. Thanks for cameras, photos, and screens are improving a lot. Again, it's all sort of incremental. Jamie's tall, six foot seven. <laughs> That's even taller than me. But a slim build. I guess it depends what size hands you have. But let's not go down that path again. Null division. You briefly mentioned your black wedding ring. I'm curious. Care to share a pic of it? 
Um, I, I could. There's going to be pictures of it in the in the um, the professional shots, and I'm I'm just trying to remember the construction of it. It's it's not fancy. It, it's pretty mainstream. It's a few hundred bucks <laughs> for a wedding ring. It's a composite. Uh, I looked it up at the time. I meant to look it up again today because people keep asking me. But I like it. It's You know what it is? I, I had in my mind exactly what I wanted. And we, we had some time down in Melbourne recently, some time to kill, and we were just walking around different shops. And I found something which was close but not quite right. And then we went to, to one particular shop, and it was just like – like yes, that was the thing, and it, it's little things like inside. It's a bit, uh, it's a bit convex. So when you slide it on, it just feels super, super smooth. Um, not that I do much of that because I, I just don't take it off, even with the activities I do. It's, uh, it, it seems to be fine. So it's, it's nice. I love this. Uh, Jamie says, if you put the watch over the wetsuit, wouldn't it start? Tr- would it? Would it? Wouldn't it stop tracking vitals? So say so yes. Um, now. This is this is kind of obvious, but you look at all the Apple videos and it's like the divers and it's over the wetsuit because, of course, you want to be able to see the device. Uh, for me, to be honest, most of the time I don't wear a wetsuit because it's just the weather's too nice here. Uh, the last couple of days here on the Gold Coast aside, but I would say for a solid more than 50% of the year, I don't wear a wetsuit of any kind. So it's just on my arm like this. So you get the best of both worlds. It'll track my pulse. And I do actually like seeing that when I go wakeboarding. And if I give you an example of, I was out there the other day with Scott, <laughs> which was hilarious, um, <laughs> out doing a water sports workout. Here we go. And I can see like on my heart rate, there's these constant sort of uh, big peaks. So when I'm riding around and maybe I'll do you know, half a dozen laps for something that takes a minute or so for each lap uh, and the heart rate goes right up and then you see it relax and calm down. And it goes right up. Uh, and I was I was peaking at 185 beats a minute there, but averaging 137 for a period of an hour and a half. And, and I do actually like seeing that. So you're, you're right. If I put it over my wetsuit, I lose the vitals, but that's not usually a problem here. Okay, I think I've covered everything I want to cover. Uh, one more thing here. Stephen said, did your heart rate increase when Scott was driving the boat? Scott didn't come on the boat this time. We... We just didn't have a lot of time. Um, you know, there was so much stuff around the wedding and we we drank a lot of beer. And a lot of the time we just ended up like sitting in the hot tub here, just drinking beer, talking about all sorts of stuff we just haven't been able to catch up for, uh, catch up about in person. Lots of dinners, lots of events and things like that. Uh, and incidentally, I'm going to be doing all of this again with Scott, with Niall, with a bunch of other people back in Europe in uh, end of November, start of December. So we're, gonna, we're not going to get married again. <laughs> once, once is enough for that one. But we're going to do a wedding event. So we'll have many more opportunities to do that. And we'll do professional photos and stuff like that again, too. So uh, there will not be a boat with Scott at that time. Actually, yeah. no, not in that way, in another way. But we'll save that for later on. Okay, folks, that is the end of my week. I'm going to wrap it up here. I will be doing this from another country next week. I'm not going to say where it is, probably until I get to the airport and do the obligatory Facebook check-in thing. Uh, But I'll come to you from somewhere else next week, uh, somewhere tropical. Let's just say that. All righty. Well, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you from there next week.